Dr. Talbert is the head of the Caskey Center for Church Excellence at New Orleans Seminary. They do a lot of things with small churches. And uh, first time I met him was in an interview for a scholarship program. And he, and he said to me, and he says it just about every chance he gets when he's talking to ministers. He says, we do not drift into evangelism. A boat, not anchored, will sort of drift along with the waves. Right? You let the waves of life carry you, you will not drift toward any of the spiritual disciplines. You won't drift toward prayer. You won't drift toward Bible study. You won't drift toward confessing your sins. You won't drift toward anything that you ought to do. And that's especially true of evangelism. We don't drift into it, do we? It has to be intentional. It has to be a discipline for us to do this. So tonight, I, I, I want to help us out a little bit in the discipline. And I say help us out because I need help too. I'm not as good as I need to be either. Uh, but this is an area where God doesn't just say, you know, it might be a good idea for you to tell people about me. I mean, he outright commands it. In the Great Commission, part of making disciples is bringing them to faith in the first place, right? It is introducing them to Jesus to begin with. That's, that's the first step of discipleship is uh, trusting in Christ. And so how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard, as Paul says in Romans? He says at the, toward the end of Mark, uh, go preach the gospel to all the nations. He just flat out tells you, go preach the gospel. Like, like you've got to actually go do it. In Luke, he says, remain here until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then in Acts, the Holy Spirit will fall upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's not even a command. It's just assumed. When God's spirit falls on you, you are going to testify about me. It's just a fact, like a tree bearing fruit. You are going to bear the fruit of witnessing who I am to a lost world. And yet, so few of us do it. And so few of us do it very often. And maybe we're scared. Maybe we think, well, you know, I really don't have that gift. We've all known at least one person who can just evangelize a rock and have the rock crying on its knees, begging Jesus for forgiveness by the end of it. I mean, have you ever met somebody like that? I've met people like that. Um, I've met people that thought they were like that and weren't, but I've met a lot of people. Uh, uh, I've met one or two that are really like that that just bring the gospel to bear on people's lives in, in such a powerful way. But it's not something that happens naturally. And for most of us, we would say, yeah, I definitely don't have that gift. So then we've, we've got to discipline. We've got to actually practice the discipline of evangelism. Tonight, I don't want to spend a lot of time telling you why we should evangelize. If you need that, come see me. I'll let you know. There's plenty of good scripture on it. I'm going to take for granted that we all know that we're commanded to evangelize. And the biggest thing we need help on is actually doing it. How do we do it? Okay? Am I fair to make that or do I need to... Am I fair to say, let's get some help on how to do it because we all know the importance of it? Okay. Well, can I, can I, can I give you a little bit of comfort here? You're not the one that saves people. Let's start there because sometimes we get this thought that if I screw up, if I say the wrong thing, if I do something that's not right, or if I, I get in the way, then this person isn't going to come to faith and it's all going to be my fault, right? Paul. In fact, we're going to be in the book of Romans. 
We're, we're only just about only going to be in the book of Romans. We might mention scriptures from other places, but, but for the most part, we're going to be in the book of Romans tonight because Paul lays out the gospel. We're going to watch how Paul lays out the gospel, how he explains it. We're going to look at an instance. We will look at one other passage in the book of Acts. We'll see this being put into action as Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch are talking about spiritual matters and, and how that conversation goes. We'll look at that passage too. But for right now, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, this is a verse that some of you may have memorized. This is a common verse. It's one I had to memorize growing up. For I am not ashamed, Paul says, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Did you catch it? What's the power of God? Is the power of God my slickness? Is the power of God how shiny my teeth are, how smooth I can talk? Is the power of God how persuasive my speech is, how I answer every objection immediately? Is the power of God how I can read the other person's mind, tell exactly where they are, and give them just the right point? What's the power of God? The gospel. The gospel is the power of God. Now, why is the gospel the power of God? Can I, can I say this real simply to you? Because God said so. In fact, that's what the gospel is, right? It's what God said. The gospel is the story of God's redemptive work in human history. In fact, look back. Uh, I have to turn back a page. You may not. But earlier in the book of Romans, he defines the gospel. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which, that means what's following here is going to talk about the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son. Now, now that gospel, what is it about? It concerns God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on to tell us more about this Jesus Christ. But watch what he does here. The gospel content is about Jesus Christ. And because it's about Christ, the gospel really is about God because Jesus is God. And so because it's about God and because it's spoken by God, declared through prophets in the Holy Scriptures, now we have God talking about himself and empowering that word. So when we're sharing the gospel, we're not sharing a message. We're sharing a person. We're sharing Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. We talked about this morning, how God did not abandon his Messiah, right? We talked about the fact that this resurrection is the thing upon which we can put our hope. But it's more than just hope for a day long ago, long, long time from now. When, when Jesus, I, I said I wasn't going to go outside of Romans, but here we go. Sorry. John, in John chapter, chapter 11, Lazarus dies. Jesus tarries. Mary and Martha are crying. Jesus shows up and Martha comes out to him and says, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And he turns to Mary and he says, your brother will be raised. And she says, oh, I know that in the last day, she's got it in her head, right? It's that long way away from now. Oh, I know there's a coming a day, like singing Beulah Land, 
One day this will be true. It's far off. And I hope in that. And that helps me a little bit. I don't have to cry so hard. Because I know there's coming a day. Jesus says, you don't get it. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, it's not just a long time from now, future promise, way on over there, just past the horizon. Right about where that end of that rainbow is. It's not like that. It's something that's present today. The resurrected Messiah gives us hope today, confidence today, power today. It's something that that lives and moves and breathes right with us in the present. It's not just future. It's not just a past event with a future promise. It's a present reality. And so when we talk about the gospel, we are talking about the present reality of who God is and what he has done, and what he will do, but also what he is currently doing. But how do you do this? I mean, I, I don't know all the right words. I, I, don't know, I don't know what I should tell this person. What if they come up with questions I'm not sure of? It's not up to you. It's up to God. So just speak. Share the word of God and let it talk for itself. Bill Fay tells the story. He is witnessing to someone and he brings them to Romans chapter 3. Okay. Now up until this point in the conversation, God has done everything good. We know that God made the universe good. But people have turned their backs on him. Uh, Romans 1, 18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him, to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, the problem with man has been ever since the garden, we have turned our backs on God. God created all of this world, all of this universe as good. In fact, it's so good, at the end of Genesis 1, he says it's very good. Tov miod, strongly good, exceedingly good. So good, I got to put an adverb in front of it just to say how good it is. It's good. But we know our present reality is not like that at all, is it? Man, if there's one thing we cannot say about this world, we cannot say it is good. One of the most common objections to the gospel, genuine objections, not just the person that's trying to get you off on some other tangent thing and and just not really, really interested in hearing the truth, but one of the most genuine objections to the gospel is evil. It's uh, It's called the problem of theodicy. If God is good, why is there evil? And we know the answer to that, don't we? Raise your hand. It's because of us. We know that. We have to help them see that. So he gets to Romans chapter 3, 
He's talking about how God has made the world good. Uh, Bill Fay is talking to this gentleman and uh, uh, he's on a road trip. So he's in a car with this guy and talk about a captive audience. He can't go anywhere. They're, they're driving, you know, and, and he, he has this guy look at Romans chapter three, verse 23. This is a verse I know you've heard before. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? All in Romans 3, Paul is basically knocking down, uh, through Romans 1 through Romans 3, Paul is knocking down all kinds of excuses. You can't say that you're good because even when you're doing good things, you're doing them with bad motives. You can't say that you're better than this person because the whole lot of you is bad. In fact, earlier in chapter 3, he quotes from Psalm 14 and from Psalm 52, 53, excuse me. Both of those psalms kind of match up in the beginning of the psalms. And, and he says, none is righteous, no one, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless, no one does good, not even one. He quotes from uh, Psalm 5, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive he goes to Psalm 140. The venom of asps is under their lips. Uh, Psalm 10, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Proverbs 1 and Isaiah 59, uh, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36, this is all from the Psalms almost. <laughs> This is just in the Psalms. I don't even have to go to the law. I don't even have to go to most of the prophets. It's just the Psalms. This is our hymn book, y'all. <laughs> and even our hymn book tells us how sinful we are. And then he gets to Romans 3.23. He's, he's talking this guy through, through this idea that people have sinned against God and have turned what God made good into something that's less than good, that's bad. And then in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he has that guy read it, and this guy reads it, and he says, yeah, but that's not me, though. I mean, I don't do that. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of bad people, but that's not me. Bill Fay said, I didn't know what to say. Bill Fay, by the way, wrote a book called Share Jesus Without Fear. It's one of those ones that you might want to look if you, if, you, if you want some help and encouragement in this area. That's a good one. He said, I don't know what to do. Only thing he could think of saying was, read it again. Guy read it again. Third time, fourth time, fifth time. <laughs> After five or six times, finally the guy begins to see. Finally the Holy Spirit breaks through the, the hardness of his heart to show him that you are the man. You are the one this is talking about. This isn't just talking about somebody else. It's talking about you. So we need to bring people to that place where they see that they are sinners and that they deserve judgment. Romans chapter 5, you are, you are a sinner and you deserve judgment. But God doesn't judge you just immediately for your sin. Thank God he doesn't strike us with lightning when we do something wrong. Y'all, I could run, I could run all the electrical needs of, of the northern hemisphere, the entire northern hemisphere, with just, with just the electricity that God would strike me with for my sins, Okay. Probably, maybe even the whole world. I don't even know. Thank God he doesn't do that. God is good. And, and even, in our, even in our attempts to get to God, and even in our attempts to try to do something right, to turn the corner and get back to him, you, we don't even make good attempts at that. Oh yeah, we do good things, but we do them badly. We do them for the wrong reasons. 
Most of the things we do aren't even good in the first place. They're just selfish, wrong. No one is righteous. No, not one. Which makes the story of the gospel all so great. Because in Romans 5, we see that while we were still weak, we couldn't have done this for ourselves. We were too wicked. We were too weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, even while we are opposing God, even while we are offending God, even while we are in direct opposition, defiance of the God of the universe, even while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. They need not only to see that they are a sinner, they need to see that there is nothing they can do. Then they need to see that God has done what was needed, that God has stepped in. Romans 6, another popular verse, verse 23. Actually, starting in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. You, you didn't have to do what was righteous, but you were a slave, right? But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. You see, the thing that you earn is death. All this sin that you've been heaping up, all this opposition to God, it is destroying you. They need to see that they are doomed apart from the grace of God, but that the free gift of God. You see, a gift is something you don't earn. A gift is something that somebody else pays for and then offers to you. That's eternal life in Christ Jesus. They need to see that they're sinners. They need to see that they're condemned in their sin. They need to see that God loves them so much that he has paid the price to redeem them. Romans 10. For Moses, verse 5, writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call to him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here you have it. God makes a great world, but we screw it up with sin. Our sin tears us away from God and it dooms us to destruction. But when we confess our sins, believing that God has raised Christ from the dead, putting our faith and trust in Christ, 
then he saves us from our sin and instead of giving us the death we deserve, gives us a gift of eternal life through that Jesus Christ. And that's the gospel. Now, what am I going to do with the rest of the time? (laughs) You can go through all sorts of different ways to share. Donald Whitney puts it this way. In whatever context the Lord places us to live our lives, God calls us to find ways to fulfill the Great Commission in that context. Some of us use for excuses. I don't have time. Well, you know, I, I, I try to, but nobody ever listens to me. But again, where's the power? We don't call it the great suggestion because it ain't a suggestion. God expects us to evangelize. I've walked it through Romans. I, I like to go through Romans because it puts the word central. I, I, I like to walk through this because it just... Did you hear how many different references Paul made to scriptures in what we read? I mean, I talked you through Romans 3, all those references, but he's constantly saying, as it says in the scriptures, according to the scriptures, he's constantly pointing people back to the Old Testament. Why? Because in Paul's mind, all of these verses and all of these things that have been written down are all pointing to Jesus. And he's picking them out and he's saying, hey, look, that points to Jesus. Let me show you how. That points to Jesus. Hey, hey, this one right over here. Oh, this is a big one. You really should read this. I like, I like to do that because I believe that the gospel is the power of God. And since God has revealed his gospel in his word, uh, I can't screw it up quite so much if I let God do the talking. Anybody feel that way? I can screw, I can really screw it up. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a master at screw-ups. So I'll let God talk. And if they don't get it, if they're stuck on something, if, if it's just not getting through their heart, read it again. Read it again because it's not, I can't do it. It's all up to him. One more thing I do want to point you to, and that's in Acts chapter 8. I said we're going to look at the, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I kind of like this story because there's some details that we miss sometimes. So, for example, um, God says to Philip to to go uh, onto a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, that road doesn't really go down south. It goes down in altitude. Jerusalem is up high. Gaza is close to sea level. And so you're talking about a 2,000, 2,500 foot uh, decline along this road. And so, so he says, go toward the south to the road that goes from, down from Jerusalem to Gaza. He's kind of, that's kind of a, a, that's a fun way of putting it. He's going like nearly half a mile down in altitude as he makes this trek. <sighs> this is a desert place. <laughs> You're going to the desert. Congratulations, Philip. So he goes, because what, what else do you do when the angel of the Lord commands you something? from God's lips, right? You do it. Unless you're Zacharias, and then you can't talk for almost a year. So uh, I highly recommend doing it. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this guy's a god fear. He's recognized the God of the Jews, and, and he's worshiping God. He's on the right track. And he's going back home, uh, returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. Now, have you ever seen, I don't know how fast chariots rode. Pretty sure it was pretty fast, though, compared to a guy running. 
And so Philip is booking it. Talk about chariots of fire. I mean, this guy is going. And he catches up to this chariot. And I don't know, I don't know if the guy like sees Philip coming and thinks we need to slow down because this guy might have something important for us or something. I don't know. Or, or if he's completely oblivious and suddenly there's this guy riding up alongside of him and he's like, what? <laughs> so he runs up along this chariot and he hears him reading. The, the, the eunuch is reading this book of Isaiah out loud, the scroll out loud. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you are reading? Do you know what you're reading? And the guy says, how can I unless someone guides me? What if evangelism wasn't about sales, making a sales pitch, winning a convert over? What if that's not the way we thought? What if we thought about it as guiding people? What if we thought about it as coming alongside their chariot and helping them understand God's word, helping them see what God has said and why it matters to them? Maybe we have the wrong parent. Maybe that's what's stopping us from evangelizing. Maybe we think of this as, well, up to me. I mean, it's really up to God. I have to do the work. I have to discipline myself to do it. But maybe it's not a sales pitch. Maybe it is just helping someone understand, guiding people into truth. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And I've got Philip is really glad to take a seat and rest for a minute. He's been running. And then... It, the author in Acts, Luke, tells us, here's what passage he was reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Y'all know where that's from, right? That's the song of the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. Starts in 52, but this part's from 53. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. There it is. I'm kind of, at some point I wish, I wish the biblical authors would have been a little more descriptive. What exactly did he say? What questions did the eunuch have? How did Philip respond? Or on the road uh, to Emmaus, with these two guys. And Jesus walks alongside of them and says, hey guys, what, what y'all talking about? Haven't you heard what's going on? No, tell me, what, tell me what's going on. You've been living under a rock, man. Don't you know all the stuff that's been happening lately? And Jesus says, what things? What, what's been going on? And they talk to him. And then he says, you, I'm gonna say it nicely. You just don't get it, do you? Don't you know that all the things that have been written had to be fulfilled? And then beginning with the scripture, beginning with the law and the prophets, he explains to them everything concerning about himself. So here we have it. First, we need to be willing to go when the Spirit calls us to go. Going might be really going out of our way. Going might not be out of our way. It might be somewhere we already are, and we just need to take the conversation to the next level. But we need to go. We need to keep it word-focused because the word is where Christ is illuminated, where Christ is revealed, and we need to point them to Jesus. But what if they ask a question we don't know? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I do know. John chapter 9, the blind guy is, uh, uh, the apostles come to him, uh, to Jesus, and they say, who sinned? Did this guy sin or did their, his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus says, nobody sinned. This wasn't sin. 
This is just so God could be, God could be glorified in him. Jesus makes this blind man see. Well, he's starting to tell people. Just within a few verses, he's telling people what happened. And he gets brought before the Pharisees and he says, he's, they say, what happened to you? He said, well, I was blind, but this guy named Jesus made me see. He spit in some mud, put it on my eyes, and then I go wash and I can see. And they're debating back and forth whether this guy is, is doing the works of God or whether this is some kind of charlatan that, that's trying to deceive people. And, and he's like, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. They call this guy's parents in because they didn't believe him that he really was blind from birth. And, and they tell him, yeah, he was blind from birth. And they say, well, what do you know about his healing? And they're like, don't ask me, ask him. He's the one that got healed. We weren't there. <laughs> they bring this guy back in a second time and they insist, tell us, if, tell us this man's a sinner. He said, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind and now I see. It's okay not to know all the answers. But point of Jesus. One more thing. If you're struggling with how do I make that turn? How do I take this conversation that has been unspiritual to something spiritual? How do I start talking with someone who knows my faults, who knows my failures, who knows that I get mad at my kids or who knows that I have some bad habits or who knows these things about me? How can I witness to them? Can I be honest with you? Admit that even you're a sinner. When you've sinned against them, ask them for forgiveness. When they've seen you do something wrong, ask them for forgiveness. Say, say, look, that was wrong. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I, I, I don't, I don't like being, I don't like being like that. And I'm very sorry. I, sh I shouldn't have acted that way. Now let's talk about your sins. <laughs> In other words, don't be afraid of anything that is a deficiency in you. Because you are not the power of God. The gospel is. Yes, clear as many stumbling blocks out of the way as possible. But get to the gospel. For the last few minutes, I'd like us to pray. And I'd like us to pray specifically for someone we know. Maybe that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe we've been trying and trying and trying. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we've been trying to work up the courage to talk to them. Maybe they're family, friends, someone that we've long-time acquaintances from work. Maybe there's someone that we've known for a little while and they just never, we, we never really saw that golden opportunity. We're going to pray for them and then I'm going to ask you to discipline yourself not to drift away from evangelism, but do your best to make that opportunity to share. Let's pray together. God, You've called us to evangelize. We don't have any excuses. It's all, all the power belongs to you anyway. So it's not like we even have to muster it up. It's all from you. Lord, would you just grant us the grace to see the opportunities before us? The opportunities not to sell, not to, not to, not to go out and find new clients. It's not what this is. It. That's not what this is. It's not what it's designed to be. God, would you just give us the grace to see the chances we have to share the gospel with people around us? Give us a broken heart. Spurgeon said, uh, may we, may we, if, if we cannot bring souls to you, may we weep and wail over those souls until we do. If we don't have those opportunities, may we beg you for the chance. And God, where we do, may we take advantage of them. May we redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity that you've given us. 
Help us not be afraid. Help us not worry about what if we screw up because it's not up to us, it's up to you. God, there's someone that you're bringing to our hearts right now, someone that needs to hear your gospel. We may have been trying to give it to them before. Maybe we've even had some good conversations, but they've never, they've not yet been ready to accept. Maybe all they've encountered has led them away from you and you've brought us close to be that voice of truth. Maybe they've heard and, and they, they've thought that they're okay. They've thought that they've, maybe they even go to church. Maybe they even have all of the right outward appearances, but there's no faith in you. Or maybe their life looks 180 degrees opposite of anything close to Christian. Whatever the case may be, you're laying them on our hearts. God, we beg you, don't let them die. Don't let them meet eternity without giving us another chance to share with them the gospel. Don't let them pass from this life to the next. And don't let us move through our days with missed opportunities. Don't, don't let us pass it off as somebody else's job or pass it off as something for the experts or something that we're just not qualified to do. God, encourage us. Put courage into us. You be strong enough to overcome our weakness. Because after all, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. God, you lead us that we may spread your gospel to any and all around us who will listen. And for those who may not listen, for those who it may take a few decades to really deal with, for those that have such hardened hearts that they need to see the gospel lived out time after time after time before they're finally willing to hear it, Father, may we live the kind of lives that would crack open that shell. Work in us. Produce the righteousness in us that they need to see so that when we open our mouth to speak of your Son, they will listen. You are so good to us. The work that you've done in us is incredible. And help us be obedient as we share your gospel with those you've placed around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.